Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I saw that there was uh, an accident and I saw one of the officers uh, with his uh, gun drawn. Tonight on Global News Hour at 6, the dramatic pursuit in Surrey that ended in a crash. The dash town footage that captured the chase. Plus, I don't want to be walking along and have him disappear into a 30 foot sinkhole. Deepening concerns in Langley after the discovery of five sinkholes, why a nearby pipeline project is being blamed, and. We did well, it for our daughter. Well, yeah, she was the prime motivator. Ending the stigma. A BC couple shares how they overcame their addictions with help from two BC recovery programs. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Julie is off tonight. A Surrey intersection was the scene of a dramatic multi-vehicle crash early this morning. A collision now being investigated by the police watchdog agency. As Kamal Karamali reports from Surrey, video obtained by Global News shows that the collision may have happened after police were pursuing a suspect vehicle. It appeared to be a police pursuit that resulted in a three-vehicle collision after a suspect vehicle was seen driving into oncoming traffic. Now, Global News has obtained dash cam video of the lead-up and the aftermath of the incident and spoke to a witness over the phone. Holy That was when I saw the suspect vehicle drive over the curb and drive on the opposite lane uh, towards oncoming traffic westbound on the hundreds. And oh God, what I did was I pulled was over. And um, after that, I saw that the two RCMP officers were chasing that vehicle. And when I got to the intersection of 100 and 140th, I saw that there was uh, an accident. And I saw one of the officers uh, with his uh, gun drawn and he was trying to look for the suspect. Surrey RCMP says that police responded to a report of a suspicious vehicle related to an indecent act around 8 a.m. Sunday morning at the Green Timbers Urban Forest Parks parking lot along 100th Avenue and 144th Street. The witness who provided the dash cam video says he saw two RCMP vehicles enter the parking lot and try and box the dark colored car in. But the vehicle got out and started speeding down 100th Avenue, eventually jumping the curb and going into oncoming traffic before a multi-vehicle collision took place. At the intersection of 100th Avenue and 140th Street, RCMP say two people have been transported to a local area hospital for medical treatment. But so far have not confirmed what happened to the driver of the suspect vehicle. Now, the Independent Investigations Office, which is in charge of police oversight, says it's looking into the incident, but so far the investigation is in its early stages. Kamal Karamali, Global News. 
Just south of the border, two people were killed after shooting at the Gorge Amphitheater in George, Washington, a venue frequented by a lot of British, British Columbians. I want to confirm that I am safe. I'm here. I'm just now finding out about this information because I've been inside the festival grounds this whole time. Police say the shooting happened just before 8.30 last night while the Beyond Wonderland EDM concert was underway. The shooting took place at the nearby campground area. Police say the suspect began randomly firing into the crowd. Police were able to track a suspect down and arrest him. Three others were injured, including the suspect. An independent police oversight group is investigating the shooting. Law enforcement moved into the area to try to track him down. The shooter continued to shoot randomly into the crowd, and the suspect was eventually taken into custody. The festival continued following the shooting and did not end until early this morning, but Sunday's events at the Gorge were canceled. Campbell River RCMP are investigating a disturbing act of vandalism on the construction site for a new First Nations village. On Thursday, police say racist graffiti and damaged equipment was found at the site located in the 200 block of Henry Road, just south of Campbell River. It's the new village for the Tala Owasis First Nation. Glass on light stands and generators were smashed along with excavator windows. While RCMP say most of the tags left behind were illegible, one racial slur, the N-word, was clear. The damage is estimated at approximately $25,000. Police say it's too early to know whether this was a senseless crime of opportunity or a targeted act. Well, I don't believe that people should do that, right? It's, it's still... They're, they're legally allowed to do all this because uh, they've bought the land and they're building up their own, their own area. And so I think, uh, you know, we should just respect, respect what they're doing. Police were notified of the damage on Thursday and are looking for help from the public in order to identify those responsible. Global News has reached out to the First Nation for comment. A Langley Township councillor who owns and operates a farm next to a Trans Mountain Pipeline worksite fears the construction is causing the ground on and around his property to sink. Kristen Robinson reports. Rob Rint grows sod for sports fields, homes and parks on his Langley Township turf farm. Across the street, contractors for Trans Mountain are drilling underground on the pipeline expansion. And Rint says he has a sinking feeling when working in his fields. My kids are my main concern, right? Since April, Rint says he's discovered five sinkholes, the most recent nine meters deep, on or near his property. He also operates a distillery and fears for the safety of his family and staff. I don't want to be walking along and have him disappear into a 30-foot sinkhole. First, a work area is established on either side. Trenchless construction is underway on 240th Street. Trans Mountain says it's completing a horizontal directional drill to safely cross underneath waterways, railways, highways and sensitive environmental areas. Did you have any sinkholes before they started working in the area? Uh, no. Rint says crews on the site have told him remediation could take up to a year. What I would like them to do is uh, address the issues and make sure all the areas where they were doing the trenchless system, like 
is there's no potential or risk for new sinkholes in the future. Trans Mountain says it has encountered challenging ground conditions that have resulted in the formation of a small number of localized sinkholes, which is not unexpected. Our crews temporarily stabilized the sinkholes, and now that this trenchless crossing is complete, they will be permanently repaired in consultation with affected landowners. It may show up today, it may show up two weeks from now, it may show up in the winter when the ground freezes. It is a concern. You never know where the next sinkhole is going to be. Trans Mountain says work, including backfilling and reclamation, will continue through the summer. While Rint and his partner say business to their distillery is down 35 to 40 percent due to road closures and construction noise, their biggest concern is the long-term impact to their property. Hopefully uh, it doesn't sink and hopefully nobody gets hurt. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Indecision hangs over the residents of Surrey as the city awaits the province's decision on whether or not to allow them to keep the RCMP as the police of jurisdiction. As Travis Prasad reports, the political impact of the back and forth over the controversial issue is not going unnoticed either. I figured why change what's good already and all the money that's going to take to change it and look, look now. Surrey resident Don Poverchuk couldn't be happier with the mayor and council's decision. Council has decided, with a vote held yesterday, to retain the RCMP as our police force of jurisdiction. But it's a choice that requires a green light from the province. Solicitor General Mike Farnworth says he needs to be satisfied with the level of policing in Surrey's plan. I want to assure the people of Surrey and all British Columbians that I will fulfill my duty to keep our communities safe, People in Surrey want to be safe, and they want this to be over. Safety aside, politics undoubtedly playing a role in the policing saga. In April, Farnworth strongly recommended transitioning to a municipal force, but stopped short of demanding it. Evidently, he wanted this to be a negotiated settlement, in a way, at least. Um, really, he was trying to force them to come to the same conclusion that he had come to. With the ball now back in the province's court, Telford says Farnworth faces a tricky political predicament. Uh, the relations between Surrey and the province right now are very frosty and it, it would uh, go into a deep freeze for a period of months if he overrules this decision. Meanwhile, Surrey taxpayers are taking a hit. Operating the SPS and RCMP in the city comes at a cost of $8 million per month. Unacceptable for some. I think that would be very difficult for a lot of families, just yeah. the prices with gas prices and inflation, groceries. I think a lot of folks will have a hard time. The province is offering $150 million to help fund the transition to the SPS and says if the city wants the Mounties, they'll have to pay for it themselves. That is the severance pay, which could be upwards of 70 or $80 million, uh, as well as any additional costs for breaking contracts with suppliers and vendors, etc., etc., a pricey prospect with residents caught in the middle. Travis Prasad, Global News. Surrey RCMP are asking for your help to find a missing man. 41-year-old Justin Monroe was last seen at 1 p.m. on Wednesday near 137th Street and 94A Avenue. He's described as 5 foot 11 inches tall, 140 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. Monroe is believed to be wearing a white shirt with bloodstains on it, black pants and black shoes. Police and family are concerned for his well-being. Anyone with information on his whereabouts is asked to call police. 
Today marks the 40th anniversary of a tragic event in the history of Iran. Nine women and one teenage girl were executed by their own government simply for refusing to renounce their faith. The NGO, the Baha'i International Com Community, launching a campaign to honor their memories and raise awareness on the current injustices Baha'is face in Iran. Baha'i, for example, are barred from going to university in Iran and can't hold public office jobs. The execution bringing back painful memories for one Vancouver resident whose mother and 23-year-old sister were among those killed. It was unbelievable for us to think that my mother and my sister would have been executed. I could not logically accept that they had done nothing to, to deserve to be executed. I cannot express how it felt. The whole world was kind of on my shoulders and I uh, was sick. I was physically and I was just sick. Two days prior to losing her mother and sister, Nazid, Nahid Mazloum's father was also executed for being a follower of the Baha'i faith. On to the BC wildfire fight now and a dubious distinction. The Donny Creek wildfire has now grown into the largest fire ever recorded in BC. The BC Wildfire Service says the fire burning south of Fort Nelson is now estimated at more than 5,300 square kilometers. It surpasses the Plateau Fire that burned more than 5,200 square kilometers northwest of Williams Lake in 2017. The Donny Creek Fire remains out of control, but an evacuation order for Trutch and surrounding areas has been lifted. It's expected to keep growing throughout the summer and into the fall. And some positive news when it comes to two fires in the South Peace region. The Peavine Creek Fire is now considered under control and the West Kiskatinaw River Fire is considered being held, which means it's not expected to spread beyond a set of boundaries under current conditions. An evacuation order affecting residents in the One Island Lake community was rescinded today, but an evacuation alert remains in effect. Coming up on Global News Hour at 6, a BC couple shares their deeply personal story around recovery and parenthood. How they hope their story will help other couples in similar situations. Stay with us. Plus, the new eatery hoping to fill a void in Chinatown after the exit of the popular Kent's Kitchen. That's next. More than 11,000 toxic drug-related deaths since BC declared a public health emergency in 2016. Ending the stigma around addiction has been a key part of trying to solve the crisis. Tonight, we're hearing from Jean-Paul and Tasha about their journey of overcoming the barrier of shame related to their addictions in order to welcome a healthy child into their lives. Grace Key reports. After years of alcohol and opioid use, JP and Tasha are getting their lives back on track, and they say their 19-month-old daughter, Abigail, has turned their lives around. We did well, it for our daughter. Well, yeah. She was the prime motivator. Mm -hmm. She was the, like, she was the initiator. She went and got help. I was left on my own. 
I was lonely and sad. When Tasha became pregnant, she got help with BC Women's Hospital's Families in Recovery program, the only program of its kind in Canada. When we admit a patient to our unit, we are essentially admitting the whole family, right? So we have specialized services for, for our babes if they need it in terms of like um, additional medical care. Obviously, we work very closely with mom in terms of her overall health, but we also invite partners and, and also loved ones. Through BC Women's, JP connected with Together We Can, a treatment program for partners of fur patients. I think one of the best pieces of the program is that um, the, the two partners get to learn new coping skills together and so they get to really know each other as well. Um, not only are they new in recovery, uh, but they have a new baby too. So there's a lot of different uh, variables or things that they're going to have to learn how to work together on. Fur opened up the door. And I wasn't ready though to, to clean up, so I only lasted three days the first round. But the second time I went in was like a matter of not even a month, and it was open, that door was open. That's what, I had to go three times. And that's why I succeeded, because there was that open door policy. The two have set new goals for themselves. Tasha is working on her high school diploma and wants to be a nurse. JP is lining up work in entry-level machinery operation. The guilt and shame that we've always felt when I was using when I was pregnant, and it's just, I am just forever grateful that, you know, she's healthy and alive and doing good. This is my only prime purpose now in life is make sure that our kids, we, we, that we are in their lives and that we're there, that I, I can be a, you know, a presence in their lives somehow, some way, you know, and a productive member of society. On this Father's Day, JP looks forward to being a positive part of his daughter's life and encourages others in similar positions to get help. Grace Key, Global News. A food bank fundraising festival known as Foodstock is back. The event hosted by the Greater Vancouver Food Bank took over Swan Guard Stadium in Burnaby this afternoon with live music and local vendors. The aim is to raise money for people in our community facing food insecurity. And with inflation increasing the price of groceries, the need is great. A lot of people having a tough time out there. We're seeing record numbers, uh, approximately 700 to 1,000 new people a month right now signing up at the food bank. People have never used a food bank before, uh, and so we're, we're lucky we're there. We're there to help. The Greater Vancouver Food Bank helps about 15,000 people each month. A new restaurant has opened in Vancouver's Chinatown in the same spot recently vacated by an institution that served the community for more than four decades. Tato's Kitchen held its grand opening today. The restaurant opened quietly earlier this month in the former Kiefer Street location of Kent's Kitchen, which closed at the end of April due to a reported 30% rent increase. Kent's Kitchen was known for its under $12 two-item combos. Under new ownership, Tato's is now serving similar Chinese fare at the same affordable prices. I've been told this restaurant has uh, been running for 46 years. It's a long time. So uh, lots of people, with lots of people's memory for the good food, they are very happy for their stomach. So uh, since I know it's, it's closing, I'm quite sad. Since I decided to take over this restaurant, everybody supports me. So even city, city, the license office, the health inspector, everybody wants this restaurant open sooner. I've been eating here at oh, the previous uh, Ken's Kitchen for 30 years 
and I hope to be eat here for another 30 years. Heidi Chen is thankful Kent's customers are coming back. She says her chefs, who have 30 years experience cooking at a high-end restaurant in Richmond, will offer a special menu every three months. Still to come on Global News, the calls for more safety protocols. I'm scared of every intersection that I come through. What truck drivers would like to see more of on Canada Highways Plus. This is going to result in higher prices for service. Bumpy ride what the loss of low-cost air carriers will mean for travelers as WestJet gets set to absorb two airlines. In Dauphin, Manitoba, prayers this Sunday for those who died, for those who are still trying to recover, and for those who responded to the crash that claimed the lives of 15 and hospitalized 10. It's a small, close-knit community, and the grief is widespread. It's impacted so many, probably everybody in Dauphin knows somebody involved. The investigation into Thursday's devastating bus crash continues as survivors are still being treated in hospital. Joe Scarpelli has more on what we know and the renewed calls for change. Shortly after, a bus full of seniors and semi-trailer crashed on the Trans-Canada near Carberry, Manitoba. Ralph Merrick drove by. I seen all, everything, all the debris, everything, all that was on the highway. And it just tore me up. Because that's the same place. My son-in-law passed away the same way, crashed into a semi-truck. His son-in-law was the only other person killed at the intersection since 2012. Chris was a good boy, 24 years old. Merrick is one of many people wanting to see changes at intersections along Manitoba highways, particularly ones without traffic lights. I, I'm scared of this intersection. I'm scared of every intersection that I come through. It's still not known exactly what happened in this case. Police so far say the semi had the right of way when it was traveling east and collided with the bus. Investigators are still waiting to speak with the bus driver who remains in hospital. It hit close to home. Keith Lundale drives a similar bus, mainly in northern Manitoba, on a highway more narrow than the Trans-Canada. Some of the road conditions in northern Manitoba are deplorable when it comes to driving a handyman with uh, people on. In light of this most recent tragedy, he wants to see officials review and bolster safety protocols for operators. He's already scheduling a meeting with his own drivers to go over their measures. You can never not improve safety. You're always learning as you go. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. The Royal Canadian Air Force is investigating a sexual misconduct allegation against a Snowbirds pilot. The commanders of one and two Canadian Air Divisions issued a statement Saturday saying the allegation was made against a 431 Squadron member based in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. A Department of National Defence spokesperson says the member is a pilot with the aerial acrobatics team and is also a member of the military. No one has been charged at this time and there are no details on where or when the alleged misconduct occurred. In the meantime, the Snowbirds will perform as an eight aircraft team instead of nine. Another Canadian airline brand is disappearing. Sunwing will no longer be a choice for Canadians trying to find alternatives to other carriers as its new owner, WestJet, plans to absorb it into its existing fleet. Sean O'Shea now with more on what this means for the consumer. For Canadian flyers, especially heading to warm weather destinations in winter, 
Toronto-based Sunwing is a popular way to get there, but its new owner has confirmed the airline brand is disappearing. The die was cast when WestJet was permitted to acquire uh, Sunwing uh, months ago by the federal government. Sunwing was created two decades ago, starting as a tour operator, then acquiring its own planes to meet increasing demand. WestJet will add Sunwing's aircraft to its own fleet. There is going to be less choice. Uh, the question is going to be, you know, which markets does WestJet decide to reduce services on? The Canadian airline market is dominated by Air Canada and WestJet. Earlier this month, WestJet announced plans to shutter its discount Swoop brand. And with the Sunwing name disappearing, that really leaves just Porter, Air Transat and ultra-low-cost carriers Flair and Lynx. I'm confident that this is going to result in higher prices, worse service. The federal government allowed the Sunwing sale with few conditions. This was a very... Uh, ill-advised decision by the government to approve the acquisition, something that the government went against the recommendation of the Competition Bureau. Swoop will remain a brand until October, and WestJet hasn't announced a timetable to eliminate Sunwing. Competing brands within the same corporate uh, family just doesn't exist. Be on the lookout for some aggressive pricing uh, and some aggressive uh, markets that WestJet is now going to go after. And he says more consolidation may be in the flight plan. We're just heading into the summer. <laughs> um, batten down the hatches. Shuttle Shea, Global News, Toronto. Still to come, snow and rain fell on the Okanagan connector this January. Plus, it's an annual tradition to raise awareness about prostate cancer, which calls for regular checkups. Some have dubbed this month January, given the unseasonable weather we can experience. That includes a mix of snow and rain that fell on the Okanagan connector overnight. A look at DriveBC's webcam show the snow beginning to fall on the connector between Merritt and Kelowna just after midnight. But by 7 this morning, it was already starting to melt away. This comes after Environment Canada issued a potential snowfall warning for the connector and the Coquihalla. The snow is expected to continue until Tuesday, and drivers are advised to be aware of the conditions. A bit of jolt for people in the Fraser Valley last night. This video coming from a global viewer showing a flash of lightning followed by the rumbling thunder. There was a risk of more thunderstorms this afternoon. And our Ted Field sending in this video of hail coming down in Langley just after 10 o'clock this morning. A dark cloud suddenly appearing and the downpour inundating roofs, streets and eventually storm drains for a short period of time. Let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell now. Yvonne, a mixed bag today, hey, on this yeah, Sunday. A mixed bag, and even Ted was describing it. Our very own Ted Field went from sunshine <laughs> and then immediately to dark clouds to hail. Looks a little bit snow-like. But yes, depending on where you were, uh, we saw a little bit of everything. This was a great shot that I wanted to show you, taken from Texada Island. As soon as my name key, there we go. There's the lightning strike, and this one was sent in from Bronwyn. So thank you so much. It was spectacular. Here's what it currently looks like. Temperatures are sitting at 15 degrees. We've got a 
southwesterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour, but a bit of instability will still continue for the early evening hours, and we're still seeing the potential or the risk of thunderstorms. Quick glance for tomorrow. Be prepared for back to work and school. Grab that umbrella. It's going to be a soggy one. The rain will start to pick up in the morning hours and then heavier at times towards the afternoon. Highs between 13 and 14 degrees. There is that instability, so we could still see an isolated thunderstorm, some showers popping up across the island, extending in towards the Fraser Valley as well. Special weather statement still remains in effect. Now, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, as we showed you earlier, along the Coke, we are going to see the potential still for some wet snow, and the Kootenai Pass is now being included within that. So the Allison Pass along the Coke, the connector will continue to see the potential for that wet snowfall continuing in towards Tuesday morning. It's areas along the Kootenai Pass that could see it ease off as early as tomorrow morning. Snow levels sitting closer to 1,400 meters, so be prepared for some slippery road conditions. We're also seeing a special weather statement and tracking rain. Heavy at times, the following areas, Fraser Canyon, South Thompson, as well as the Chicolton. With this statement, we're seeing 20 up to 40 millimeters. That'll be possible into Tuesday morning. The potential and concern will be water pooling on roads, risk of localized flooding, and then it should start to ease off, but some heavier rainfall across the region. Different weather story, though, for the northern half of the province. A nice break in there with some sunshine. Inland for Terrace, even getting up to 25 degrees. Rainfall across the central interior. Most areas for the southern half will also see showers through the day, picking up through the afternoon. Whistler, cooler highs, just up to 12 degrees. All areas along the south coast and the lower mainland, it's going to be a soggier start for us with that rain starting to pick up in the morning, continuing towards the afternoon. It'll be a touch cooler. Grab that coat for tomorrow. We'll be sitting at 14 degrees showers on Tuesday and just in time for the summer solstice. We're hoping to play out with some sunshine and our first full day of summer as well with highs getting up to 22. Krista? Ivana, wet one tomorrow. Thanks so much. You bet. Well, on this Father's Day, it was the perfect weather for a walk, run or roll to raise awareness about prostate cancer in Burnaby this morning. Three, two, one. Our Michael Newman was the MC of the 25th annual Father's Day walk run at Burnaby Lakes. Doctors say one in eight men will get prostate cancer in their lifetime. In those 25 years, more than four and a half million dollars and 92 projects have been funded through the event. For many, it's turned into an annual tradition. We have definitely saved lives because of awareness. People have been checked. There's a guy that's running here today whose dad died and he is doing really well three months ago he got prostate cancer because he's aware he knows what to look for he knows what to do so it's impacted families it's impacted the community it's impacted uh, the funds that we've raised have led us to so many things that we never thought we could do so far this year more than two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars have been raised and such a good fundraiser for Congratulations. sure. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Big amounts. Yes, yes. exactly. Uh, Barry joins us now. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you looking at today? Well, on a Father's Day, what could be better than watching golf all day <laughs> on television? I guess playing golf. Yeah, but exactly. Sometimes well, it's watch the uh, best in the world. So the uh, final round of the U.S. Open is going on right now. It's in L.A., so the, it's a little later. Usually the, the tournaments are over by now, but they're still playing, and it's coming down to the wire, so we'll have highlights of that. And uh, Canada's men's national soccer team has a big match going on right now in Vegas against uh, Team USA in the CONCACAF Nations League final. We'll have first half highlights of that as well. So. Sports, sports. What better Father's Day could... Sports. For me, it's Father's Day every day, I guess. Sports Sunday. I love it. Yeah, awesome. We'll check back in okay. a little bit later. We'll still ahead. 
The mantra, Ball is Life, couldn't ring truer for this family of indigenous women. We'll introduce you to an impressive basketball dynasty from Vancouver Island. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agency's group. 50 years of trust in your community. On Vancouver Island, a family has been maintaining a basketball dynasty for six decades. As Jay Durant reports, and this is BC, three generations of players have been excelling in a sport that's long been a part of First Nations communities across the province. Kiona has some tricks to fool her mom. <laughs> But Brittany's never lost her touch. Woo! And Grandma still knows a few sneaky moves. Three generations of star players in the Cowichan Valley. I hear lots of things from them and like how good they were and how like they all expect me to be so good and it just pushes me even more. But there's never been any pressure to play the game. Brittany started to discover basketball on her own as a kid. I played um, against the boys at the youth center type thing, and I think that's where I got most of my toughness from. Now a coach for her daughter's team, she's one of many who continue to help with the growth of the sport in First Nations communities across BC. The All-Native and Junior All-Native basketball tournaments featured more than 140 teams this year. Communities fundraise for the whole year to take their teams to these tournaments, and it's smaller communities training 24-7 in the gym, live in the gym. It is a major cultural, political, social, recreational, sporting, highly competitive event. Let's go Warriors! Karen White won tournament MVP in 1977. Her daughter Brittany was also named MVP when her team won in 2001 which was an early introduction to the game for a young Kiona who vanished briefly during all the excitement. We lost Kiona in the gym. We had to go to shut the gym down and cut. Lo and behold, she's in the losing team's dressing room. <laughs> As a graduating grade eight, Kiona is continuing the tradition, winning her own MVP awards and titles. But this family legacy is much more than just the accomplishments on the court. I look at them as being good role models. That's what I really, really like about what my, my girls and what my family does. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Still ahead, Canada looking for gold in the CONCACAF Nations League final. The big matchup against our U.S. rivals plus the U.S. Open. Barry DeLay has all your highlights next in sports. Come face to face with one of the world's most famous predators. At the Royal BC Museum, experience the life of Sue, the most complete and best preserved Tyrannosaurus Rex ever found. Don't miss out on learning how Sue survived their challenging and dangerous world. Don't miss Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, an electrifying musical that follows the Temptations' extraordinary journey from the streets of Detroit to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event, build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. 
Barry DeLay joins us now in sports. Barry, you're keeping an eye on that big soccer match today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, since Canada went to the World Cup, we expect a lot more yeah. from them now than we have in the past. <laughs> and uh, beating the USA, we've done it before. Could they do it again tonight in Vegas? Thanks very much, Krista. The uh, last time Canada's men's national soccer team won a trophy was the 2000 Gold Cup. That was about four months before Alfonso Davies was even born. Tonight in Las Vegas, Davies and Team Canada are trying to add to that lonely trophy case with a win over the United States in the final of the CONCACAF Nations League final. Canada beat the U.S. 2-0 in their last match last January in World Cup qualifying, but that was in cold Canada. This one is in the hot United States. Great chance early. Ismail Kone to Kyle Laren test the USA uh, goalkeeper, but not too difficult of an opportunity. Americans will take the lead, though, off the corner kick. It's nicely executed. Chris Richards will nod the header past uh, Milan Borian, and it's one nothing. USA, it's always harder to come back in soccer, and uh, the U.S. has been the better team so far. 34th minute, they strike again. Fullerin Bolligan, just his second match as a, a playing on the American national team, and he scores. So it's not looking good for Canada now, down 2-0 very late in the first half. Final round of the U.S. Open from Los Angeles Country Club, all playing for that beautiful trophy. A couple of B.C. boys made the cut. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin with the approach here at the third. And that's a great shot. Settles about three feet away. He made birdie. Shot five over 75 today. Finished at plus 11. 59th place for Hadwin. Series Adam Svensson using the driver on the short par four sixth. It's always fun to see if these guys can drive the par fours. And this was one of the better shots of the day as he will get this one not quite on the green, but just on the fringe. Two putts from there for Birdie Svensson. Uh, finished at plus 12, tied for 60th, but good experience playing the weekend on a major. Tommy Fleetwood finished on the wrong end of Nick Taylor's Miracle Eagle last week at the Canadian Open. 63 today, ties his own record for lowest final round score ever at a U.S. Open. It's happened three times. Johnny Miller's done it once, and Tommy has done it twice. He finished uh, fifth at minus five. Meanwhile, Wyndham Clark, looking for his first ever major, began the day tied with Ricky Fowler for first. Clark, 233-yard par three. How about that to five feet? Made the birdie, gets to 11 under, and he's got a one-shot lead. Fowler, meanwhile, seems to have resurrected his sagging career. Fan favorite, but this was not Ricky's day, unfortunately. So many birdies the first three days, a lot of bogeys today. He is at six under right now, playing the final hole, and uh, he's four shots off the lead, so he's not going to win. Clark, meanwhile, kept the pedal down. Second shot from the rough on the short par four sixth. Nicely done. Another birdie. He's at 12 under. Two shot lead on Rory McIlroy, but no lead is safe at the U.S. Open. Clark, from the deep rough, he whiffed on it. You can see on the replay that he barely touched the ball, if at all. He did well, actually, just to make a bogey, but his lead was down to one. Clark, though, steadied himself. You have to have such a great short game to win at the U.S. Open. That's a great short game right there. Almost hold it out, but he made par. And he remains one up on McElroy. Rory just couldn't make any putts. That's been his problems in the majors. Last year at the Open Championship, what did he have? 18 straight pars. Needs this nine-footer on 14 to stay within one, but slides by. He made one bogey, one birdie today, and he is one back of Clark. Clark on the same hole smashes a three-wood from 282. Big swinging fade. He likes it. He's going to love it. What a shot by Wyndham Clark. 
20 feet away, two putts from there, got him to 12 under. He had a three-shot lead, but they're playing 18 right now. Rory is done at nine under, Clark's at 10 under, and uh, we'll see if he can hang on to win the U.S. Open. BC Lions are a perfect 2-0 through two weeks of the young CFL season. They'll get an early test Thursday in Winnipeg against the Blue Bombers, who are also 2-0. And Winnipeg is the one CFL team capable of putting up big offense. They've gone over 40 points for both of their first games. That'll be a massive challenge for the Lions defense, who pitched a shutout yesterday against Edmonton. The first time the Lions have done that since 1977. The defense held the Elks to just 139 net yards, forced a couple of key fumbles on the way to the 22-0 shutout victory. They would certainly take that the way it's gone the last couple of visits here. As the ball comes out and the Lions have it. See the ball is out before that knee down by contact. Nathan Cherry was the one who punched it out. Ryan Phillips pitching a shutout. That's it. Double-zero victory formation. Uh, that is amazing. It doesn't happen very often in this league, as you guys know that have been around. Like, usually there's a single or a field goal or something happens. So, obviously, it's number one total credit to our defense, but it's also credit to the whole football team as you got to play good football, and our offense really chewed up some time there late in the game. So, uh, it's a neat thing to be a part of because it doesn't happen very often. We knew we had to make adjustments. Uh, the defense came out doing different things. Uh, we, we didn't think they were going to do, so we made those adjustments and we came out second half and did a little bit better. Um, again, I just we want to start a little bit faster than that, but credit to the defense, man. They put up a zero, man. They did a great job. And of course, Vernon Adams Jr. and his young son, Vernon Jr. Jr., I ex expect. CFL tonight, defending Grey Cup champ Argos, playing their season opener, hosting Hamilton at the BMO Field, late first quarter. It's uh, quarterback Chad Kelly juking his way into the end zone. It's been all Argos. They lead right now 29-6, to and uh, they are playing the fourth quarter in Toronto. Canadian Grand Prix from beautiful Montreal. Max Verstappen starting on the pole, lap 13. Englishman George Russell loses control around the chicane, slams into the wall hard, broken wheel rim, did not finish the race, officially placed 19th out of 20 cars. Verstappen had a comfortable lead all day long in Montreal, but with just four laps to go, he almost smashes his car into the wall. A close call, but Verstappen gathered himself and took it across the line for his fourth straight win and sixth in eight races this season. It's also Red Bull's 100th F1 victory for now. Fernando Alonso second, nearly 10 seconds back, and Lewis Hamilton took third. Canadian Lance Stroll was ninth. Verstappen leads the driver standings by a whopping 71 points over his Red Bull teammate, Sergio Perez. And we'll finish with some baseball today. Blue Jays and Rangers completing their three-game set in Arlington. Jays jumped out to a big lead. Beau Bichette. And what a hitter he is. Rips one into the gap. Whit Merrifield and George Springer both scored. Bichette second in the American League in batting average, leads the majors in hits with 98, now has 46 RBI, one of the best hitting shortstops in the league. The Jays led 6-0 at one point, but the Rangers roar back. Jonah Heim will rocket a line drive home run to right. That ties at 6-6. And then later on, Leody Taveras will crack a two-run shot. The Rangers lead the majors in runs scored. They showed it today. They put up 11. 11-7 the final. Toronto starts a series in Miami tomorrow. Krista, that's it for sports. All right, okay. Thanks so much, Barry. Mm -hmm. Well, still ahead, the new tool in the market to fight catalytic converter thefts. We'll introduce you to the catalytic defender next.
catalytic converter thefts have surged in recent years, with thieves stealing the parts for their precious metals. The widespread problem prompting an Okanagan man to create a device aimed at preventing the crime. It's become a nationwide problem, one that a man in the Okanagan may have created a solution for. So right now the device is in test mode for the first three minutes after the ignition's turned off. The one chirp indicates the alarm is active. Lake Country resident Rod Newlove created a device that he says will prevent catalytic converter thefts. It's called Converter Defender, and the idea is to arm the vehicle with another alarm that detects any touch or vibration when the ignition is turned off. After three minutes, the device is fully armed. Uh, any movement at all in the exhaust system, the alarm will sound for two minutes. So if you're trying to steal a catalytic converter armed with one of these devices, this is what you'll be met with right away. According to Kelowna RCMP, catalytic converters are a hot commodity among thieves and are hard to track once stolen. Well, it's increasing all across, not just Kelowna, but all across British Columbia and Canada. There, there's there's a, a metal in the catalytic converters that apparently is very valuable and they're stealing it because it's an easy, easy thing to steal. And uh, from once they steal it, we don't know where it's going. The idea of New Love's product is to attract attention to the vehicle or spook the suspect. They're going to split. I don't think anybody's going to hang around to chop off converter when alarm's blaring. The converter defender is being manufactured in Lake Country and is already being sold in Alberta. We've got some distributors in Alberta, automotive parts distributors in Alberta. They're, they've got it and uh, uh, there's nobody actually in Kelowna that's picked it up yet, but we're talking to some people. And according to New Love, installing the device is simple. Yeah, it's a do-it-yourself. Uh, you can do it in your driveway at probably, probably half an hour. Um, depending on your skill level, I guess, but, uh, or you can take it to a shop if you're more comfortable doing that. New Love spent the last two years perfecting the product, and he got the idea for it after seeing the problem increase across the city. Well, it's been pretty strong in the media for the last year, year and a half, and uh, so we started looking at different options, how to, how to, how to fix this, and uh, we went through I think probably four different prototypes before we finally came up with the final version. New Love is currently selling the device online at ConverterDefender.com. And apparently those guys retail for like $250, which not a bad Father's Day gift. Hey? I suppose, if yeah. you're worried about your catalytic <laughs> converter getting ripped off. And happy Father's Day, Barry. Well, yes. thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's my 24th Father's Day. Yeah. I've been calculating. There so you go. There oh, you go. special. I've had a few of them. A couple. Yeah. Just a couple. A couple more to go as well, yeah. I hope. <laughs> uh, last check on weather, Yvonne. We've got a soggy one for tomorrow. Grab that umbrella, and it's going to be cooler. So back to work in school. Periods of rain, temperatures at 14. We're looking ahead for summer on Wednesday with highs up to 20 and some sun balls, Barry, in the Great. mix as well. There you go. Thanks so much for watching. Have a good night.